Hi, this is Cole Moon, and welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast, where we share our love of the holidays with you year-round. This is Beth, and I am going to be talking about two interesting songbirds today, and I'm going to be comparing and contrasting the raven and the crow. This is Sydney, and I will be continuing my series um, on Disney attractions. Specifically, today, we will be talking about living with the land. Mm. And this is Randy. Today, I will also be continuing my Beach Party movie series with the movie Beach Party from 1963. We have a few holiday happenings this week. Monday was Memorial Day. Yep. So that was a fun day. I think Cole had a party at his place with yep. friends. Yeah, we had uh, we grilled out and enjoyed some, uh, I guess, what you think of as Memorial Day kind of food, burrs and such, cooked some shrimp too. Yeah, it was a nice day, nice weather that day, nice weather this weekend too. Um, yesterday was a big day for the United States. For the first time since 2011, the United States launched its own astronauts on a U.S.-built space system, the Dragon spacecraft, on top of a Falcon mm-hmm. rocket. Um, to orbit, and this morning it docked with the International Space Station. That's right. Another that was an amazing thing to watch. Yeah, the, the, the launch launch of it. Yeah, and it I didn't so realize cool. it was um, inc- that NASA had that NASA had a partnership with a commercial company right. to take it up into space. That was yeah. really cool. Right, yeah. SpaceX. That was a that was a right. big deal too. That a, it was driven by a commercial company. Yeah, it's the first time a commercial company has launched humans into space. So that was the other first. For this launch. So that's pretty impressive, pretty great day for the U.S. space program. As I've mentioned before, I'm a rocket scientist and an astrophysicist, so I watch these things and I enjoy them. I called Beth and Sydney up from wherever they were uh, about five minutes before the launch. And yeah, it was exciting. They it got was. to watch it with me, and that was very fun. It was a very was. pretty day, very pretty oh launch. Everything went great. And even the um, commentators, they were, they were talking yeah. about how, well, you know, previously they've had not good days, not clear days. And you think about the technology with the video cameras and yes. oh my goodness. Um, cameras, so clear. You would have thought that you were watching a movie. Yeah. Like, that's how crystal clear everything was. Right. Right. Yeah, the way they, the spacecraft itself looks, it looks mm. very modern, very sleek, yes. <laughs> um, even much more so than the space shuttle. It's, it looks like a modern day kind yeah. of futuristic capability. So yes. very fun to see that. And I know they're going to stay for at least 30 days and they hope to stay for 120, I think was the, yep, the that's extension. What uh, the other fun news we got uh, for us who are Disney fans was Disney Walt Disney World in Florida uh, finally announced their reopening dates. They have two reopening dates for their parks. They have not said anything about their resorts yet, but the park dates are July 11th for Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom, and then July 15th for Hollywood Studios and Epcot. Uh, we as annual pass holders, Beth and I, uh, could go down for a preview. Right. Um, annual pass holders are, and cast right. members are first, right? Yep, and then the rest of the public. Uh, can go down after that, but I don't think we will. We've talked about it multiple times. July yeah. is like July so and August hot. are so hot, um, and having the mask on. And, you know, right. I'm, I'm tempted on the one hand to do it uh, because I love Disney so much, and it'd be interesting to see how they handle everything, the reduced crowds. But it's gonna be hot. We're gonna have to wear masks. There's no parades, no fireworks shows. So it's not gonna be the Disney that closed. Right, it's right, going right. to be a diff- different Disney experience, and you That's have right. to go because you just love Disney, not because you're expecting the same thing. Right. right, for a while at least. Right. So, do you know how Disney is going to handle people coming back? Is it a reduced number of people? Yeah, they've said that there will be reduced crowds, and they've even said, um, like for annual pass holders, like Beth and I, we have the platinum level, which has no blackout dates. But they've said there'll be some blackout dates potentially, or we won't be able to get in when we want to. And they'll just have to tack it on to the end of the um, the ex- expiration date for our pass holder passes. So they're going to kind of figure it out, kind of walk, then run, right? So they're going to figure out right. in, in places that they... They've even said that not all the rides will necessarily be open. They've got to figure out how they socially distance and clean all these rides over and over and over again from a, a sustainability perspective, you know. Right. It's just so, hard to even imagine. Yeah, so at Disney Springs, they, you you know, there's nothing to make people stay away from each other. Yeah. Um, but what they've done is they've brought in stormtroopers who kind of <laughs> harass people from the balconies along the different storefronts. Oh, um, that's clever. Yeah, so yeah. They, um, they kind of, 
in a fun way, encourage people to stay socially distanced from each other. Right. Um, but I have seen a number of people that live down there who've gone both to Disney and Universal City Walk, which is like Disney Springs, who have said that the organization themselves, Disney and Universal, have done a great job. It's the people following the rules that makes it... Or not, not following. A, right. And you're right. It's not following rules that, that can make it bad. Like, yeah. you know, socially distanced from each other. So you don't need to walk right next to the people that you don't know. Right. right? But sometimes people do. Yeah. Like, why, you know, why are you, like, next to our group when you could be over, over there? There's nobody over there. Yeah. So, you know, stuff like that. I actually have a friend. She was in Orlando for the last three months, and she just moved back up to Virginia here. Uh, I'll have to ask her about that because I know she went to Disney Springs as much as she could when she was down there. I mean, why not? Why, why not? <laughs> yeah, she was it's very. All you're gonna get. Yeah, yeah, she was very sad that she had to come up yeah. away from Disney Springs <laughs> back to Virginia. Right. Yeah. Well, then we're gonna move on to the fascinating subject of ravens and crows. Ah. That would be the crow. Spoilers, Dad. <laughs> yeah, right? Spoilers. You might be surprised to learn that both ravens and crows are considered songbirds. It I am does. very surprised. I know, surprise. right? Not Neither, all songs are good songs. That's right. Neither are very pleasant sounding. American crows, and I'm talking about the American crows and the common ravens. You have to choose two, and those two seem to be the ones that people compare and contrast. They're like the generic of each one. American crow... Common raven. The American crows make a jarring caw-caw sound like Randy was doing, among other vocalizations. Thank you. And the American crow. And the common ravens have, like, this funny croaking kind of sound. Yeah. Yeah, like... Yeah. Thank you, uh, Cole. uh, (laughs) Yeah, gronking or gronking or something. (laughs) Gronking. I'll just make up that word. (laughs) So the common raven and American crow are both all black, and which is... I think the only two all-black birds, even the black bird, is not all black. That's it has, I think it has an orange bill and has mm-hmm. orange around the eyes or something like that. So, Oh, that's a fair point because they both have black beaks as well. That's so. right. Exactly. Now, when you're looking at the common raven and the American crow, from this point on, I'm just going to call them the raven and the crow. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I just keep stumbling over it and I already said it. So when you're looking at them, you might think, and I did at first, how in the world are you going to tell the difference between those two birds? The raven is actually almost twice the size of the crow. Wait, can I make a guess too? Is the raven's beak proportionally larger than the crow's? Yes. Okay, that, that was the feature that I always, when I grew up, how I distinguished ravens from crows. Really? Was because the the beak was so much larger. On it the is. Raven. That, is, that exactly is so right. funny. I did not go around my childhood. Trying to distinguish between <laughs> ravens and crows. Ravens and crows. <laughs> well, you each had your areas of interest, That's right? Ravens, so. for reasons, were very important to me throughout my childhood. Yeah, well, if I only had your life hack. <laughs> so, the size of the raven is roughly the size of a red-tailed hawk, which is a pretty big bird. The size of the crow is roughly the size of a pigeon. Which is not a very big bird. It's nope. a medium-sized and bird. And it's also a very stupid bird. The pigeon, not the crow. <laughs> <laughs> Crows are actually not stupid. The raven has a wingspan of three and a half to four feet, which is pretty significant. The crow has a wingspan of maybe two and a half feet. Um, Both of those seem larger than I I know, I it does. Yeah. Bodies, yeah. <laughs> I was surprised at the crow's wingspan. Is this the American crow or like the... Uh, it's Amazon the American crow. crow. The American crow, the Australian crow. So from head to tail, the raven is a little over two feet, and the crow is a little more than a foot. So the tail is also a significant feature. If you are in the vicinity of a crow and a raven, size is going to be your main way of telling them apart. If they're close to each other, you're going to be able to see it. Then if they're flying... Um, and you can't, I don't know, sun's in your eyes, maybe you can't tell the difference, or they're two different areas. The ravens have tail feathers that are longer in the middle, so they have this little diamond shape. Mm. The crow has tail feathers that are the same length, so they're more blunt or cut off, and sometimes have a little indent in the middle. Oh, interesting. So that's another way to tell from a distance, be able to tell whether you're looking at a raven and a crow. Now, a lot of times on the other songboards, you said they would perch like on your fingers and stuff. Would they do that? I will get to that, interestingly. Oh, good. Um, The beak, as Cole mentioned, proportionally, on the ravens, it's longer, thicker, 
and it actually curves down at the end somewhat. Oh. Crow's beaks are much more thin, straight, just a common little bird beak. If you know what yeah. a Roman nose is, right. like the classic yeah. Roman nose, the raven has That's more of the, the Roman, Roman beak. Yeah. <laughs> or, and it does po- kind of like how the hawks do. It has the little, like, Yep, a little bend down downwards. Yeah, yeah. Like a hawk yep. nose or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Now, interestingly, also, I'm finding them fascinating. So I'm getting right into that middle-aged just look say, at birds we kind take, of thing. So <laughs> a, we were taking a walk the other day, and there were some birds chirping in the woods. And I looked to Beth, and I said, what kind of birds are those? And at the same time, I said, I don't know what they are. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what happened with all your expertise? <laughs> also, ravens are always, always look a little, like, beefier than crows do. They like are. They're, they yes. look buff. More buff. <laughs> um, and their buff. feathers... Crows kind of look sleeker. The ravens kind of have some excess feather... Like ruffled? ...going on there. As That's well, what it looks like when I see them. Exactly. That's exactly right. They actually have hackles on their throat feathers. So, if you think about hackles on a dog, when you say, oh, their hackles are up, it stands kind of straight up. Ravens have that. Hmm. Crows don't. Crows are much more sleek. And they're a little more feathery, I think, at the top, too, on the head, than a crow. If you're looking to distinguish a raven and a crow, those are some physical characteristics that you can use. So, other characteristics. Landing. And I've watched, just so you guys know, as I'm saying this stuff, I've actually looked up all of it. Like, I've looked at videos of this, of this stuff. When ravens land, they land with assurance. Like, they are there, they're there. If they're up really high, they, can, they might need to adjust a little bit. But they are landing with assurance. Now, a crow, when it lands, its head is bobbing all over the place, and it has flitting movements. So when you say when it lands, it's flitting, are you saying as it's coming down to land or once it's on the ground? Once, Well, um, once it's in a tree. So oh, if it's landing oh, okay. on a tree, a raven comes down, and it's, th- it's there. Okay. Boom. Crow will come down, land on a branch... And then do some head bobbing and flitting around. So it's oh, just okay. it's just not oh, it's as... It's getting more balanced or something. I don't know what it's doing. It's being all crowy over there and just, you know, <laughs> doing this crow thing. I don't know. Living its crow life. Yeah, living its little crow life in a little, little crow best, way. Best crow life. <laughs> so ravens fly at higher altitudes and they actually soar. And I've seen a lot of film of ravens over the Grand Canyon. So they will go up, and they will be able to ride the thermals. They'll be able to get up much higher altitudes, and they will just soar. They're beautiful. Now, crows flap their wings a lot more, and they cannot soar. They can glide when they're landing. Yes, yeah, so, so soaring is basically just riding the, the air like a hawk does. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it can go up, up higher altitudes. Yeah. Now, also... When a raven is flapping its wing, when it's, when it's gaining altitude, if it's near you, you can hear the wind. That wind is actually moving because it's such a substantial bird with substantial wings. Uh, crows, you don't, you're not going to hear anything. Ravens, and this is, I thought this was interesting too, and again, I watched videos of both. Uh, when an intruder comes into the territory, the crow is going to make a lot of noise, or the crows are going to make a lot of noise and dive bomb the intruder to get it out. The ravens, it's very interesting. They will actually fly alongside the intruder until it leaves. Like, it's just kind of like they're escorting it It, right out of their territory. I was going to say, it's very passive-aggressive. No. (laughs) It it is funny. It's like uh, entering hostile airspace. And getting escorted out. It's like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Get out. Get out. Keep going. Socially, the two birds are also very different. Crows will amass themselves in large flocks. Do you know what a large flock of crows is called? Murder. Murder. Oh, my goodness. All three of you knew that? Yeah. I would have guessed that Cole would have known that, but it's interesting that all three of you knew that. That's funny. Why would you have guessed that I would have known that? Because ravens were a thing with you. Okay. And you knew and the you difference like between crows and, and ravens. And you like murder. <laughs> oh, wait. That's you like the crowy murderers. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that's the ID channel. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's Sydney's channel. That's right. He just <laughs> he sits there, like, snuggled up with a, uh, I don't know, like Hot a Starbucks drink, yeah. and I walk in, and she looks all cozy. I'm like, oh, she must be watching a Hallmark movie. Then I looked at TV, and it was like, the victim was stabbed 37 times. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, hmm. <laughs> That's the stuff. That warms me on the inside. <laughs> and I walk through going, uh, 
<laughs> putting my hands and my my fingers in my ears. It's like I don't like Sydney. But anyways, <laughs> let's go back to the regular murder. Of regular. Crows. All right, let's yeah. go back to this. Um, so the crows tend to hang out in forests. The ravens like wide open spaces, as I said before, like the Grand Canyon. Which makes sense for the soaring exactly. part, right? So they can see long ways. Right. I feel like we see more crows in cities than... You definitely do. Ravens, ravens don't like cities. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, for They're instance... They're more if... small town birds. <laughs> <laughs> so, when it's making its call, or its sound, the ravens will lean its head forward and look like it's shrugging its shoulders. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's so interesting. I think I watched more videos of these ravens and crows than any of the other songbirds, although I wasn't comparing and contrasting the other songbirds. So when a crow makes its call, its head will bob up and down. Yep. It's a bobber. Now, as I said, they're both songbirds, and the ravens make a low croaking or honking sound. Bronking, as we're saying. sound. <laughs> the crow's signature call is the... Anybody? Caw. Caw, caw. I think I got that spot on there. So, territory and habitat differences. Ravens tend to perform more solitary wilderness habitats. You're more likely to see them in places that have wide open expanses of land without a lot of human activity nearby. This could be a big forest, a desert, the Grand Canyon, open plains with occasional tree islands for nest sites. And I thought that was interesting. Wherever they're at... They're still going to need nest sites, so they're going to have to be tree islands or little spaces where there are trees. Well, in the case of something like the Grand Canyon, will they nest in rock formations, or is it like I don't know. trees? Yeah. I don't know, but I know they have trees there, mm-hmm. so there are trees. It might not be right. Well, there's trees in the Grand Canyon, right. but yeah, I don't know if they will if they would if they would nest in, in things that not. aren't trees. Yeah, right. Now, crows they're smart. They can figure it out. That's right. <laughs> Somehow they'll they'll make sure they'll make it work. Crows tend to be more adaptable to a wider range of habitat types. Their ability to thrive in cities surrounded by humans is one of the main reasons why their numbers have grown so much in recent history relative to the ravens. Despite their differences, I'm going to go from differences to similarities. Despite their differences, crows and ravens have a number of similarities. They are both opportunistic omnivores. Meaning, they will eat what they find. It can be insects, it can be carrion, it can be scavenged human food, garbage, you know, they're... Carrion or carry out, too. Yes, right. If you leave that Carry out, carry <laughs> So there you go. They are both highly sociable birds with close-knit family structures. We heard that the crows have much higher numbers than the ravens, but both have close-knit family structures. And they are both among the world's smartest animals. Some of the ways their intelligence has been studied and observed is that both can recognize human faces. They are among the few animal species that use tools and clever strategies for getting food. They're smart about getting into things. For example, figuring out how to unlatch containers to steal food. And it's interesting because I was watching both ravens and crows can mimic human speak. Oh, really? Human speak. Now, um, I don't know if you have this in your notes, but I was pretty sure that I had read this somewhere, and I just looked it up to confirm. The raven is the only bird that is self-aware. The only non-mammal that's self-aware. Okay, so explain that. So, uh, what it means for an animal to be self-aware, you see animals all the time. I think you mentioned cardinals will get into fights with mirrored images of themselves and hurt themselves. So what it means for an animal to be self-aware is that if they see their reflection, they know that it's them based on movement and um, just kind of familiarity with with what they are. Most animals that are self-aware are like chimps uh, and other mammals that we think of as being extremely intelligent. There's very few mammals that are self-aware, but ravens are the, from what I've seen, the only bird, the only non-mammal and the only bird that is... Self-aware. That's interesting because it brings up my last little fun fact. It has been observed that ravens frequently engage in games and play. So they've been observed sliding down (laughs) snowbanks, apparently just for fun. And they have been known to have spectacular aerobatic displays, such as flying in loops or interlocking talons with each other in flight. And I saw several videos of them. They'll go way really high put their wings together, 
and just go backwards down, <laughs> like like they're dive bombing down backwards, and then pull up out of it at the bottom, like they're just playing. Yeah. So that's it's interesting that you say that because that was something that I found fascinating. Yeah. Um, I think that they're one of the uh, kind of. When we think of very intelligent animals, I think ravens pop into people along with like dolphins and octopi are the other two that kind of pop into my head when I think of super intelligent animals. I listened to a study that was done on ravens uh, years ago that was showing that ravens remembered faces of humans yeah. for long periods of time. Like you could, um, like the one researcher was with a number of ravens for years and then was away from them for years. And then re-encountered them in the wild, with and they still had their tags on, so they could still identify them. And the ravens remembered face. Is that interesting? Specific person. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Pretty neat study. Okay. To finish up, I'm going to play the sounds of the birds, the bird songs. So this is the raven. Remember, it has a lower voice, and it has a more honking, croaking, gronking kind of sound. Let's play that first. All right. Yeah, so that, that's the type of like sound I would expect like to see a raven in a graveyard like in the movies, mm-hmm. like like having that yeah. sound. Yeah. So that looks like it's an Australian raven, which is unfortunate cuz I was talking about the common raven, but it's different than the crow sound. I could see they somebody thinking they sounded similar until you hear the crow sound. Okay, and Cole has another um, audio oh, of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now. Shh. <laughs> okay, Raven, we get it. So this is um, crow, and then I'm going to play a group of crows. So this is going to be this is going to be long, but. The crow. <laughs> the crow. Okay. So it's kind of a, it's more high-pitched. All right, now here is a murder of crows. Okay. you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed sharing. Just uh, a quick one minute um, fun fun thing is that I'm a huge Baltimore Ravens fan. Oh, and that's true. for uh, for those of you who don't know, the team got its name because in honor of one of the most famous people who lived in Baltimore, Edgar Allan Poe and his ah, poem The Raven, the which Raven. is why the Baltimore Ravens got their that's so team interesting. Uh, name and why if you see the Ravens, the Baltimore Ravens coming onto the field. There's kind of these graveyard-looking uh, fencing on either side. Oh, that's so interesting. I never actually noticed that. Mm-hmm. And, by the way, who was a famous part of the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland and Disney World? I'm going to say the Raven. A Raven. That's right. And originally the Raven throughout. was supposed to be the, the narrator, the right? narrator yeah. for the ride, and they switched it to a ghostly narrator. But the Raven is still consistently at different throughout. points. Throughout the ride. Yeah, no. That's really cool. Well, thank you, Mom. You are and very speaking welcome. Of speaking Disney. of Disney. Disney and nature. So, Living with the Land is a water ride, or rather a slow-moving indoor boat ride, through sets and a working greenhouse educating guests about architecture and its or agriculture and its impact on the earth. So, this ride is in Epcot, and it's kind of... Um, not as well known or popular, I guess. I don't know. Like it's never super busy. There's rarely a line. There are effect. a few cases. Usually, when other yeah. things are shut down, that I've seen the line yeah. get to about an hour, maybe at the most for living with the land. And that that's crazy when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's located on the first floor of the land pavilion at Epcot. So um, a little history: Living with the land was originally known as Listen to the Land. And debuted with Epcot Center on opening day on October 1st, 1982. The attraction closed for a refurbishment in 1993 and reopened the same year with a new name, Living with the Land. It's As you go into Epcot, 
from the entrance, you go underneath Spaceship Earth, which is the big ball, and you go to the right. Go through these like this gateway between these two pavilions, innovation pavilions, and straight ahead is the land pavilion, which has two restaurants in it. One's a cafeteria style, one's a sit-down restaurant that slowly spins. It's got the ride Soren in it. It's got some other show that we never watch in it. <laughs> and then it has Living with the Land on the very first floor. Right. And like a gift shop. and Yeah, it's got some. Um, yeah, it's a, really, it's a pretty pavilion. Most people think of it as the place that has the ride Soarin' because that's the right. most popular ride there. Mm-hmm. But there is a couple other attractions, one being Living with the Land. Which that's we right. actually usually go to first, I think. Yeah, we done. actually enjoy it. We never get like a... You can get a fast pass, and I guess a couple times we've done it we just because... We have because you, have, you can only get so, a certain number of... Certain types of, of rides. Right. right. But um, usually you don't need one. I'd say it's not unpopular. It's just not very maybe, popular. Right. Maybe yeah. not as well known. We've gone, and there's been like nobody in line. Yeah. Um... The last couple times we've gone, though, there's been pretty consistent rock. Yeah, nice. yeah line, I think so. that we had to wait, um, maybe, I think we went twice last time. We had to wait 30 minutes and 40 minutes. Yeah. Uh, the one time we had a fast pass, we got almost We could have had there. to wait 40 uh, minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm thinking of a wait time. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. 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 So, it's much like Small World, so it goes through different scenes and sets. Originally, apparently, um, Listen to the Land started out... Uh, it didn't start out with a thunderstorm that the refurbishment added that so you go no. through and there's a thunderstorm it's much like uh, it's a small world or pirates except there's no like sudden drops or right. anything yes. yeah. right there's it's no thrills steady. no exactly <laughs> and, and no singing animatronics no, either no although there is a narrator and he narrates over the entire thing that's right mm-hmm. there's a barking dog I think mm-hmm. an animatronic dog at the farmhouse I think that's as annoying as it gets oh <laughs> and a rooster Mm-hmm. I think there's a rooster too. Yeah, on one scenes it's yeah. like a farmland. Yeah, yeah. So Cute. they go through different <laughs> agriculture um, scenes: desert, rainforest, prairie. Oh, that was the prairie. The second part of the ride, the guests learn about new agricultural methods and innovation to help mankind live with the land. That's always interesting. Yeah. So obviously, different websites have different things. So you could say it goes in two parts, but this. Um, so one website says there are five distinct areas of living with the land. You have the tropics greenhouse. The greenhouse features crops from different tropical areas of the world, including both familiar and exotic foods. The aqua cell focuses on the aquaculture or fish farming. Um, it's always fun to go through yeah. um, to see the fish and the fish tanks. And um, they have hidden Mickeys all throughout the ride, so that's mm. also fun. You have the temperature greenhouse, which is, I think, what we typically think of. It's formerly the desert greenhouse. Features crops from temperate climates. They do decorate for certain seasons. They do, yeah. Yeah, so you'll have, like, Christmas stuff up or um, fall things. things. So they do have fun with that, yeah. Yeah. Um, They have Mickey-shaped pumpkins for the fall. Yep, literally. Yeah, literally. They're growing Mickey-shaped pumpkins. Yeah. Yeah, definitely look it up if you haven't seen it. Um, String Greenhouse focuses on innovative high-density techniques, such as a nutrient film technique. So, I mean, very interesting. You have the Creative Greenhouse. Final Greenhouse in the attraction shows some unusual ideas about the future of agriculture. So that's always fun to look at. Um, In addition, and I kind of was curious about this, the U.S. Department of Agriculture Research Lab they have within Living of the Land. Right. Which I didn't realize it was the U.S. Department yeah. of Agriculture. Yeah, they partner they have a, together. Yeah, they have like a biotechnology lab. And you can kind of see it. It's like one of the last things you see as you're going towards the end of the ride. Mm-hmm. They have like some um, clear uh, windows you can look through where they're doing you know experiments. And there'll be people in there kind of poking around doing doing different things. It's yeah. not clear what they're doing in there. Right. right. But they're doing something in there. Right. They don't take the time to tell you what research they're no, doing. But, but you, you can see that they're doing the it. If you take the behind-the-scenes, behind-the-seeds tour, right, then that's a walking tour that is outside of the actual ride, but you're walking through the different elements of the uh, greenhouses, and, then and they'll, they'll tell you more specifically about what they're doing. Yeah, so that's a one-hour tour. Just like Dad said, it, it takes you all throughout the greenhouses and is guided. Um, it says the tour is surprisingly cheap and offered throughout the day. Oh, so yeah. I'd hate so. for it to be un. There's certain tours in Disney I would definitely not want to be unguided. 
like the safari yeah. tour in, in <laughs> Animal Kingdom. Yeah. That would not be good. The one where you have to like be attached to things That's so right. you don't Did fall in. Looking and... over the crocodiles. Yeah. yeah. So a, a self-guided tour would not be good. Would not be areas. great in that situation. Yeah. yeah. Listen to the land. Very little was changed from listen to the land to living with the land. Like I said, the opening scene changed. The opening scene used to have um, uh, the song Symphony of the Seed, which provided a stylized look at the growth of a plant. Oh, interesting. It was replaced by the opening storm scene that we see today. Yeah. And I have to say, coming in from a hot day. Yeah, it's great. Oh, my goodness. It's great, it's, yeah. it's all inside. You get into it like an instant dark environment. Very yeah. cool. Soothing. You can hear the rain. Yeah. Storm, yeah. So it is great. They said that the theme song from Listen to the Land is no longer used, though an instrumental version can still be heard in the land's exterior background music loop, as well as the music loop played inside the Garden Grill, which is a restaurant that they have there. So, what are your likes or dislikes about the ride, if you have any? So, I I love going through the ride because it is kind of like a relaxing thing. It's kind of dark at first as you go through the scenes. Yeah. And then you go, then you get to the greenhouse part later where they, like, there's a lot to see, a lot of, so it kind of like gives you time to relax a little bit and then, then you kind of dive into the more educational part. There's one scene in there that drives me crazy though, because it's, um, it's the transition between the, the, um, scenes of the different agriculture of the world mm-hmm. and going into the greenhouse and it's the screens. They show like different like the, screens. Yeah. The reason I don't like it is like, there's this huge platform in there the empty space the empty and there's just tons of empty space that they don't do anything with and i know they do special parties there that's oh. they'll have like that's like a party area that they have for oh. special events but it's just like for the, there's for a the, lot of space of nothing yeah right it seems you really think they could bring space. something right. in and yes. then move it, it out always here. does bother me a little bit because when i'm going through that part i always think it would be very easy to step out of the boat and walk alongside yeah. the boat yeah, just yeah. right here yeah but and like, they upgraded those screens so they're you know like 4k kind of screens now so they're beautiful yeah but it's just a lot so that's a little part of it that drives me crazy yeah i do like the fact they mentioned i think that five thousand pounds of fish are produced every year that are then used in the in the Walt Disney World restaurants, right? They yeah, use right. the food that they make there yes. all it's, over Disney. All over Disney. Now yeah. it's not enough to like it's not feed contain, everything. Yeah, but, it's not exhaustive. But they do yeah. use that mm-hmm. um, in the parks. Yeah. yeah, and I think my favorite part is always coming into the I guess desert or the the, the greenhouse, greenhouse section. Right. Yeah. yeah. And seeing all, trying to see all the different, because it's hard to catch what all the different plants are yeah. as you're going by, just because there yeah. are so many. Yeah, it's not like you're zooming by, but there's no. just a lot. <laughs> there, there's yeah. just a lot. And it goes, like, far back. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, if I go multiple times during a day, yeah. I'll try to, like, start with the reading the ones yeah. in the front and then go, like, yeah. rows back to try yeah. to see, like, oh, what's that one back there that I haven't seen before? And for reference, the seats are, like, three to five people wide. Right, right. So, so it, yeah. it's not like you can like quickly like you know spin your head around and see everything. It's like right. no, you have to pick one side and you the would, next time go you would on have the to other clamber side. over the, the yeah. person yeah. next to you. Yeah. And they're interesting plants. It's not like they're just like doing here's onions. Here's you know there yeah. there are plants that you don't normally get to see mm-hmm. right, and they're in various states of growth. And they change them out yearly, so it's not always the same plants. Yeah, and they do interesting things like they grow watermelons up on vines. Mm-hmm. Off of the ground. So right. They, they do interesting things with the plants and they have like yeah. alternative planting methods. Right. Um, which are really cool to see as well. Like um, I know that they did a lot of vertical yeah. planting of things right. rather than the horizontal. So right. things going upwards rather than downwards and kind of some of the cool, I guess, architectural mm-hmm. methods that they have with those. And I always like to see um, which things are in the shape of Mickey heads. Like they'll do lettuce and things. And if you if you kind of look up and around, you can see that it was it's actually a Mickey head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of my favorite things is Christmas. Yeah. Going by and seeing ridiculous hats or stuff, you know, just on different things and mm-hmm. you things know, arranged just, into snowmen. Or... Yeah, it's just funny. Yeah. It just looks like a. It looks like they're having fun. Yeah. There. So definitely. All right. Then. Um, for, to reference the audio, here are just a few seconds of living with the land audio that goes into loop throughout the um, ride.
Yeah, Sound so familiar? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just very soothing. Um, it is a very soothing Apparently beat. it's some people's favorite ride, although I'm surprised it to hear. To, it has to be a small number. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's, but it's definitely I imagine every nice ride, ride is probably yeah. someone's favorite I think ride. probably right, yeah. Yeah, but um, definitely go check it out, though, yes. next time here at Disney. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's worthwhile. Yeah. They're wrong. It's the Haunted Mansion should be your favorite ride. <laughs> but... For those less cultured, I guess. <laughs> There's more interest in agriculture. Mm. <laughs> or aquaculture. That's right. So switching over to uh, my Beach Party series, which has does have a connection to Disney in it that I'll talk about later. We finally get to the Beach Party movies that I think about when I think about Beach Parties. And these were the ones that were created by American International Pictures beginning in 1963. So this movie production company initiated one of the shortest film series on record. Seven movies in just over two years. Wow. Um, But they mirrored the fads that were going on in American pop culture at the time. So they combined like the interest in rock and roll with swimwear and surfing and and things like that. Yeah, that's Um, quite a combination. It really is to create these iconic beach party kind of movies, which get crazier over time and we'll talk about that so this is the third beach party um the crazy over time are we talking they like do. sharknado crazy over time? You'll, find, you'll find out they get they get wild so uh this is the third one we talked about gidget we talked about where the boys are this one really sets the tone for the next two years of the types of movies beach party movies that are popular at the time oh. so let me give you a, a synopsis frankie takes his girlfriend dolores to a beach house in Southern California for a surfing vacation. That just alone dates this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie and Dolores. Uh, when, he gets, when he gets there, he is dismayed to find a crowd of their friends there that, in, that Dolores had invited without telling Frankie. From an, an adjoining house, their beach antics are being observed by anthropology professor Sutwell and his secretary, Marianne. Sutwell is doing research on relationships of teenagers Hmm. and he's writing a book called the behavior pattern of young adults and its relationship to primitive tribes that's hilarious yes so the general idea is this is a lot about the relationships between people so frankie gets angry at dolores because dolores had invited all the friends there and he plans to avenge himself by feigning a romance with a waitress from a local bar Named Ava. Ava is a waitress at the local beatnik club called Big Daddy's. All right. So when the professor at Big Daddy's rescues Dolores from the unwelcome attention of the gang leader Eric Von Zipper, which is just hilarious, who's which a is le- quite a name. He's a who's a leather jacketed motorcyclist. Does he have a uh, black slick back hair? Yes. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the antagonists in these movies had. Yes. Yeah. So then the professor and Dolores become friends, and Frankie becomes jealous because they, he doesn't see them as just friends. Uh, as the apparent romance develops, the teenagers discover what the professor's doing, which is watching them from way up on high from his, um, his house that he's rented down to the beach to do uh, research to write this book that he's writing. And they get very angry at that. So they... How dare uh, he want to put them into a That's book. right. <laughs> so there's a big confrontation at the end. where at the beer hall at the Big Daddy's. Professor Setwell is confronted by these irate youngsters and by the cyclists. Because remember, the professor saved Dolores from the cyclists. And we'll talk about that in a second. So at the very end, there's this you know, big combination of everyone coming together. So a fight ensues. But it's not just a typical fight. It's a pie-throwing brawl. It is. <laughs> that ensues, which finally clears up all the misunderstandings. And then Frankie and Dolores are reconciled, and they share their love for each other. Professor Sutwell, having hung out with the kids more and Dolores more, kind of loosens up some, and he realizes that Marianne, who's his assistant, is the woman for him. And then they fly off. But one of the, the funny parts of this is the whole Eric Von Zipper part, who's a recurring character. Uh, starting with this. Is movie. he? Yes. That's hilarious. I'm surprised that he would be. <laughs> I know. He wasn't like, he wasn't great. No. No. He looked a little bit. And his, what was his tagline? Do you remember? 
What are you, stupid? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that was yeah, his yeah. tagline. He what said are you, it. Stupid? He said Ever. it over and over. <laughs> Stupids. If there were more of them, he'd say stupids. So in, in the middle of the movie when Eric Von Zipper and his gang are at the Big Daddies with the kids, like surfers and the boys and girls, Eric Von Zipper uh, likes Dolores and kind of um, is trying to get her to stay with them and is holding her back from leaving, right? And the professor notices this. And this is when he steps in to this save Dolores. It's kind of, in of the, the, later in the beginning. I said middle. But it's the, his, the interaction that gets Von Zipper mad at the professor. Right, that's right. Uh, so the Eric Von Zipper says, oh, I'm going to beat you up or something, right? Yeah, whatever. You know, yeah. You're interfering with me. And the professor warns him that he is trained in these ancient Asian arts. <laughs> Never really says what they are. Eric Von Zipper says, whatever. So he starts to try to hit him. And the professor keeps, like, just easily ducking out of the way of his punches, right? He keeps trying these different punches. And then, uh, finally, he, when the Eric Von Zipper, like, swings at him one more time, he touches, like, somewhere on his face. Like his, his forehead his, or yeah, something. Yeah, and he's, he freezes. The Eric Von Zipper <laughs> freezes. Okay. And, and the gang's like, what happened to him? What did you do to him? And he's like, well, he's now in this, it sounded Star Trek-y. He's, like, in this temporal <laughs> state... Like that, he'll be in the state for like hours. Yeah, like, okay. um, he'll be fine. It'll just take. It'll be a couple but he's hours. Basically, it'll wear paralyzed off. in place. He can't. That move. is freaking hilarious. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they literally pick him up and take him out, and he's paralyzed yeah. exactly where he. So in the end scene, a later scene when they're gonna have this big fight, Eric von Zipper warns his gang, "Wash the fingers." Yeah. Right. I think so, I saw that scene. <laughs> so they were. So the professor had his two, two fingers, fingers up. <laughs> yeah. Right? The whole During the fight. <laughs> And he would touch them on their like temple or a face yeah. or whatever, and he would freeze them <laughs> to, the, to the point where only Eric Von Zipper was left. Like his, whole, his whole big army was taken down by um, by his the, fingers. By his fingers, and the and the kids were helping too. They yeah. were they had sided with the professor uh-huh. in the end. They decided yeah. what he was doing wasn't so bad, and then you know they all kind of learned their lesson along the way. Yeah. But that was kind of like the um, that's the craziest the silly, fight scene I've ever seen. Silly element, right? Yeah. So the. The Gidget movie and uh, where the boys are were more realistic movies. Yeah. This one sets a tone that will proceed <laughs> going forward of more fanciful yeah. kind of ideas going yeah. forward. And there's that pie fight. Yeah. You left. That pie fight was brutal. Yeah, it was. Oh, my it was. Goodness. It was painful. They were. They hit those kids in the face. I mean, like it really was hard. Like with glass pie pans. Or no, something? no, no, no. But it was hard. It okay. was like. It wasn't... Um, and you know that it wasn't faked because... Uh, yeah, like they got hit with yep. these things. So no, it, was it just looked funny. like someone threw from about 20 feet away, <laughs> full force, yeah. a pie, into somebody's face. Oh, yeah, that would Like hurt. boys and girls, right? <laughs> were getting hit yeah, with the these, girls these pies. And afterward, they would be like, oh, ha, 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 you know, they'd move it around. But I'm like, that had to hurt their nose. Yeah. <laughs> a couple other interesting points about the movie is that it continues the idea of using... Well-known or kind of well-known bands. So this one had Dick Dale singing in it. And he had done a couple songs, Swingin' and Surfin' and Secret Surfing Spot. And the writers who wrote those songs had worked with the Beach Boys and had that that kind of song tone, kind of the California sound mm-hmm. of song tone that also continued with this. It does kind of sound like a little Star trek at certain scenes. Yes. It's definitely it's the, funny. The, fun, yeah. the funny little... Uh, light-hearted, mm-hmm. easy... Intentionally very quirky. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it very much was. That's right. exactly right. So, I mentioned these were the start of a number of iconic Beach Party movies, and that's because of the casting. They had Annette Funicello and Frankie Avalon in as the lead roles of Dolores and Frankie. And um, so Annette Funicello is known for something else. The Mickey Mouse Club. That's right. She was an original Mouseketeer. And she was still under contract with Disney. This is the the connection to Disney I was telling you about. Uh She was still under contract with Disney when she did this film. So she asked Disney, can I do this film? And a number of other people tried to get her borrowed from Disney because she was under contract with them. And they had said no. But um, apparently Disney liked something about the uh, Beach Party films that appealed to him. So he actually personally allowed her to do the movie, but oh. he asked her to be a good example. Mm-hmm. Now, we look back, and I think she was 21 when she did this movie, and Frankie was 23. when. So they never specify how old the kids are when they're 
they're obviously there's no parental oversight, you know. So you could take them as college age. Yeah. You could take them as high school age if you want to, but mm-hmm. uh, they seem a little older than high school. Seem I would a little college, yeah, yeah, more college age or that kind or just of just starting college, like those kind of post ages. high school kind of age, yeah. right? Right. So um, yeah. So Walt Disney's thing is don't do anything that would offend the general public was his comment to the writers mm-hmm. and to Annette Funicello. Yeah. Uh, so she actually, if you watch the movie, is the only girl that doesn't show her belly button ah. in the movie. Now, she does wear a two-piece, but it's a high-waisted two-piece. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so she never shows. And that was her thing. She didn't want to show. That was the line. Yeah. Showing the belly button was the line. Yeah. And she would not cross. Even though the, the writers pushed her mm-hmm. to show the belly button, she would not do it. No, nope. Walt was all, Disney said no. <laughs> it was all in deference to, um, to Walt Disney. That's so funny. It is. So the film itself was shot over three-week period, right? So... Wow, crazy fast movie. Well, I guess that's how they pump these things out. That's right. (laughs) It was given a reported budget of $500,000. Wow, that's not very much for a movie, yeah. But earned $2.4 million at the box office, which is about $15 million today. Yeah. Right? So a big return on investment. Now, the later movies, they never broke the $1 million mark, but they also had a smaller budget. Mm -hmm. So they actually learned how to produce these um, even quickly, faster. right? Even cheaper. So, but by today's standards, they would have still made a few million, right? They all had to wear uh, body makeup because nobody had a tan. They said it was so cold outside that they would just be freezing sometimes in the water. So that was kind of funny. Actually, sounds very uncomfortable and tragic. But <laughs> I guess we have different sets of humor. That's right. Um, in the movie, they reference uh, Big Daddy, right? Okay. So Big Daddy is this character in the bar. That basically has a hat on that you can't see his face and like um, like a poncho or something. You can't really see him, yeah. but they reference him a lot. They talk about Big Daddy and they're waiting for a word from Big Daddy. But he never does anything t- until the very end. At the very end, he reveals himself. And it ends up being a very famous actor at the time, Vincent Price. What? Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so he was under contract with this AIP, this film organization. And he, his line is, The Pit. Bring me my pendulum, kitties. I feel like swinging. That's all he says. <laughs> and Vincent then Price, it, also someone that I associate with ravens and crows. Yeah. And he actually does a, what would you call it, like a little commercial yep. uh, later in the and credits. Advertisement in the credits of his next film. For his next film. That's so funny. That's, yeah, it was funny. hilarious. Yeah, it was really What was funny. his next film? His next film was The Haunted Palace. That's it's funny. It's soon to be seen in The Haunted Palace. I'll have to look that up. The Haunted Palace. <laughs> so, you know, we mentioned Annette was a musketeer, so she was pretty well known. You may not realize, but Frankie Avalon, the other star, was a chart-topping recording star. So this was really their first movie together. He was from the music side, she was from the TV side, and this was their first movie, and it was a, a huge hit along the way. Um, one of the jokes that he talks about, that Frankie talks about, is that he plays a Californian youth. Right, so he is the embodiment of California youth, but he's an Italian American from Philadelphia. And he said, There isn't one person watching those pictures that ever thought or believed that I was that California kid. They knew I was a Philly boy. No one believed I was the big kahuna. But it wasn't the surfing that made the film so popular. What was more important was Frankie and Annette's relationship. It was the puppy love, it was just pure fantasy fun. That is, yeah. And as I mentioned, the, the biker Eric Von Zipper becomes a recurring role. He leads a gang of rats and mice. That's right. The, the mice are the girls. That's right. The mice are the girls and the rats are the guys. None of them very intelligent. The other thing I thought was interesting was <laughs> when they, to promote the film, they actually had the actors go to towns and visit maybe 12 theaters a day. Oh my goodness. Um, and they would go on stage and they would sign autographs at the candy counter and they said as the film became more popular, the police had to get us in and out because the crowds were so so big at the time. So, so, yeah. so this begins the AIP Beach Party franchise. So if you look through the rankings of them, uh, this is number, even though it's the first one, they generally rank it number two in the Beach Party rankings. As we go through these, you'll see that other elements enter in, such as Martians and, <laughs> and witches. <laughs> And Frankie doing two roles at once. Oh. So, yes. So, things to look forward to along the way. Yes. So, very fun. So, we're going to be going through all of those next, right? We'll go through, not all of them, (laughs) but we'll go through several of them. 
Because they're just too fun. Though. Yeah, they are <laughs> fun to watch. Because I'm not going to do the ones that aren't actually at a beach. They go through, like, ski party. Well, I'm not going to go. Yeah, this is a beach party. Yeah, yeah. I'm not <laughs> doing the winter ones, so... Uh, yes, you could add Martians, but going to a ski resort <laughs> too far. is too much. far. That's right. These are beach party movies. That's right. These <laughs> summer series is what this is. That's yes. right. If right. they want to bring the Martian to this beach, that's fine. That's right. So our future festivities are for the week of June 15th. June 15th is Nature Photography Day. June 16th is National Fudge Day. June 17th. National Apple Strudel Day. June 18th, International Picnic Day. June 19th is Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. June 20th, Summer Begins. And June 21st is Father's Day. And speaking of Father's Day, this will be released just before Father's Day. So we hope that everyone has a great Father's Day weekend with your fathers, hopefully. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Holiday underscore Moons. On Instagram, we are at Holiday Moons. On Facebook, we have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. By, you can find us by searching Holiday Moons in the search bar. And you can contact us on email at any time at HolidayMoons at gmail.com. So for Cole, Beth, Sydney, and Randy, Happy, Happy Father's, Father's Day! Day.